Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the most wonderful day of the year. Ping pong balls will be falling, the lottery's calling to fill us with cheer. It's the most wonderful day of the year. It's the happiest day of the year. Crappy teens will be praying that picks be conveying to end all their fears on the happiest day of the year. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. It is the most wonderful day of the year. It's NBA Draft Lottery Day, people. The second time in the history of this magical podcast that we have been here for an NBA Draft Lottery. Thank you to everyone who has supported us here today, and thank you to everyone who has supported us across the last two years. I hope you enjoyed that little cold open song that we had there with the uh, NBA draft lottery and the ping pong balls falling. The lottery's calling to fill us with cheer. Hope you enjoyed that little acapella version. But yes, it is the NBA draft lottery. My favorite day of the year that I irrationally enjoy so much. Is it part because I'm a a nerd for sports? Yes. Is it because I'm a nerd for statistics? Yes. Is it because we've created stakes and storylines for loser teams that could ultimately change the future of the NBA in every single draft? Because on average, every draft has about two franchise-changing players in each draft, and this year could potentially have four with Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and Jalen Green, all of which will be decided tonight based on how the four picks in the ping-pong lottery odd machine fall. Yes. To all of it. So I love the NBA Draft Lottery, and I really, really want to talk about the NBA Draft Lottery. So that's what we're going to do here on the Take It Easy podcast here today. We're also going to talk with our friend House of Phoenix Suns coming up later on in the show. And I've got a few quick thoughts on this Carl Nazib story from yesterday as he becomes the first current active or currently active gay openly gay player in the NFL had to make sure I got that right currently active openly gay player in the NFL as he announced yesterday so we'll talk about that in a little bit but let's start with the NBA draft lottery there's a lot on the line here today more so than last year where you know you know we had a LaMelo ball in there and an Anthony Edwards both of whom look like they're going to be the generational stars of their draft But last year was a weird COVID year and a pretty weak draft class. And so this year, all the math has changed on the draft lottery, not only because we have potentially four 
four stars in a really strong draft class, but also we've got three major pick implications and picks conveying tonight on the NBA draft lottery. So we will get to those as the big four, the big three storylines coming into the draft. Massive implications in each of these picks. We will explain that coming up here. First, let's revisit the losers from, let's work our way from 14 on up here. So we'll start with the first category, the losers from the play-in tournament. You remember them. We talked about them for a half minute and how exciting it was that Golden State was playing one game winner go homes against LeBron James. And then they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs, how they were just kind of there to be there and betting on the Washington Wizards and betting on the Charlotte Hornets, who ended up getting smacked by the Pacers. But then the Pacers got smacked by the Wizards. It was all a lot of fun. You remember that NBA play in round presented by State Farm. The NBA added that this year. Everyone talked about it for about three weeks straight, and then it happened. And now, four weeks later, we've kind of forgotten all about it. But you remember the losers from that tournament. Golden State, Indiana, San Antonio, Charlotte. There's a one in three chance the entire way through this. A one in three chance. So let's say 9% plus... I'm doing the math real quick right now. 9% plus 8% plus 6%. No, sorry, 4%, 5% plus 3%. So that's 3 plus 5, 8 plus 8 plus 9. That is a 25. So a 1 in 4 chance in the lottery this year. 1 in 4 chance that either Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana, or Golden State will jump into the top four of the draft. The last time that happened, I want to say, was 2000 and... I want to say 2018 was the last time a team 11 through 14 jumped into the draft lottery. So, you know what? We might be due for one here this year, based statistically. If there's a one in four chance, one of them jumps way up on the board think there's a statistical chance that Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana, or Golden State walks into the top four of the NBA draft tomorrow. So that should be interesting to see. Next up on the list, we have the the three-way tie between the teams that were actively trying to win, but were the worst teams in the NBA who are actively trying to win this year, which is the New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, and the Chicago Bulls. Each of those teams have the same lottery odds going into tonight. New Orleans, 4.5% at the first pick. Four point, or New Orleans, Sacramento, and Chicago, all of the same odds. It's 10, 9, and 8 all have the same odds. It is 4.5% at the number one pick, 4.8% at the number two pick, 5.2% at the number three pick, and a 5.7% chance at the number four pick. Each of the last four, three years, we have seen a team in this category, 10 through 8, since they've changed the NBA lottery odds, a team 1 through, or 10 through 8 has gotten a top pick. Last year, it was the Charlotte Hornets. The year before that, it was the Los Angeles Lakers. 
every single year a team has conveyed this pick for or I'm sorry for the past two years a team has conveyed this pick into the top four so one of these teams might be on good terms and this means a hell of a lot to the Chicago Bulls because remember how we talked about the Chicago Bulls had traded or I'm sorry, we didn't talk about it here, but the Chicago, remember the Chicago Bulls traded for Nikola Vukovic at the deadline? Well, one of those picks involved was their 2021 first-round pick to the Orlando Magic, protected by a top four in the NBA draft lottery. So it's a top four protected pick Chicago has, and there is exactly a... Well, so let's get this exactly correct. So we have 9% plus 32% or 36% is 45 plus 34 and a half adds together to be 70. Let's, let's see about 79%. So we have a 79% chance that the Orlando Magic will secure the Chicago Bulls pick somewhere most likely between 8 and 9. There's about a 70% chance that the Bulls end up with either the the 8 or the 9 pick in the draft. And that means that the Chicago Bulls would lose their pick to the Orlando Magic. 70% chance, most probable by a large amount, is either the 8 or 9 pick. There's a 79% chance that the Chicago Bulls lose their pick, and it goes to Orlando. But there's a 21% chance that Chicago lands in the top four and they would protect that draft pick, and they get to use it to try and build around their newfound core of Nikola Vukovic, Patrick Williams, Kobe White, and potentially Zach Levine, although Zach Levine is a free agent after next season. So Chicago fans, you are crossing your fingers because that Nikola Vukovic trade didn't actually help you get any closer to the playoffs. You still have the number eight pick or eighth best odds in the draft going into tonight. There's a seven, there's a one in five chance, basically one in five chance. You get to keep your pick tonight. Same chances for Sacramento and new Orleans. There's a 21% chance. They land in the top four, which means 21 times three, new Orleans, Sacramento and Chicago 21 times three, there's a 63% chance that Chicago, Sacramento, and New Orleans, one of the three, ends up in the top four. And if you combine that with the 20% that we said before with Sacramento, or sorry, with Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana, and Golden State, those picks might seem irrelevant, but the bottom seven teams in the draft lottery, the bottom half of teams, eight through 14, have between all of them an 83% chance of having a pick land in the top four, which means there's a five and six chance that at least one of those teams in the bottom seven will jump into the top four by the end of the night. 83% chance. So pay attention to those, especially the Chicago Bulls, because the Bulls, can lose that draft pick to the Orlando Magic if they are not the team that jumps into the top four of the NBA draft. So next up, we have the final six, seven teams. We'll say six. Here's Toronto's situation. Toronto has a 7.5% chance of getting the top pick. 
7.8% chance of getting the two pick, 8.1% chance of getting the three pick, 8.5% chance of getting the four pick. Most likely spot for them is falling from seven to eight at a 30, 34%, 20% chance they stick at number seven, 13% chance that two teams below them being Chicago, Sacramento, New Orleans, Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana, Golden State. They may have an 83% chance of jumping into the top four, and there's a 13% chance that two of them jump into the top four. So that 13% chance for Toronto to fall to nine is still theoretically in play, but Toronto has a 7.5% chance. Fun fact about the new NBA draft lottery odds, that 7.5% chance at number seven was exactly the enough odds for the New Orleans Pelicans to jump from seven up to the number one pick and select Zion Williamson, and for the Chicago Bulls last year with the seventh best odds to jump to number four and select Patrick Williams. Fun fact for both of those teams. You might just get lucky and jump up. I'm sorry. Yeah, you might just get lucky and jump up to the very top of the draft. Who knows? You might get some luck for Toronto because the last two teams in Toronto's spot, the one team with a 7.5% chance at the number one pick has jumped into the top four. So Toronto, enjoy your chances at being back in the lottery. You've got that championship to enjoy for it. Okay. Now is where the chaos breaks out. The top six picks in the draft. So we'll start with number six. Minnesota, the Timberwolves have the sixth best odds at the number one pick at 9%. They have a 9.2% chance at the number two pick and a 9.4% chance at the number three pick. Remember those numbers specifically when we get to the lottery tomorrow, because that's a 27.6% chance Minnesota gets in the top three, which Minnesota has to get in the top three or else their draft pick goes to the Golden State Warriors. There's a 9.6% chance that's the number four pick. There's an 8.6% chance that they um, stay at six. Most likely scenario is that they go to seven, eight, or nine because someone below them has jumped up in the draft. So Minnesota has a 27% chance of keeping their draft pick and a 73% chance that that draft pick goes to the Golden State Warriors. So D'Angelo Russell's trade is finally coming back full circle. And by the way, as a side note, if Minnesota does get that 27% and jumps into the top three and gets to keep their draft pick, which by the way, if they end up in the final four, because the way the NBA draft lottery does it, that is so perfect is that they keep the final four teams, go to a commercial break, and then come back to announce the final four teams. That is going to be a gut-wrenching half minute, or I'm sorry, minute and a half for the Minnesota Timberwolves fans and the Golden State Warriors fans if they end up in the final four, but their pick has to be in the top three for them to keep it. That is going to be a gut-wrenching three minutes for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So 27% chance at a top three pick, and the Timberwolves otherwise will lose that pick to Golden State. And as that side note, if Minnesota does end up in the top three, that pick becomes unprotected next year for the Golden State Warriors. So if Minnesota ends up being terrible or gets the number one pick, 
Golden State can get that pick unprotected, or a more likely scenario is that the Golden State Warriors can trade that pick and its protections to another team, which in this case would be unprotected, so the Warriors can assign their own top three protection. Just a fun side note, as if all of this isn't nerdy enough, it's something that is really interesting, and we'll have to wait and see until after the lottery concludes to figure out how it played out. Next up, a two-way tie at five and four between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Both teams have about the same odds at landing the top pick in the draft or landing a top four pick in the draft. 11.5% at a number one, 11.4 at two, 11.2 at three, and 11 at four, which all of those add up together to be 45%. There is a 45% chance that Oklahoma City or Cleveland will jump into the top four, which means if you take 45 and multiply it by two, there is a 90% chance that either Oklahoma City or Cleveland will hang on to a top pick, a top four pick in the NBA draft, securing them one of the big four in this year's draft, being Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green. So there's a 90% chance that either Oklahoma City or Cleveland will get a top four pick in the draft, but each of them have about a 45% chance. Cleveland has had really bad luck in the NBA draft lottery recently. They had the number two odds a couple years ago during the Zion year. They fell to number five. They selected Darius Garland. They had the number four odds last year. They fell to number five. I'm sorry, no, they had the, I'm sorry, the third best odds. They fell to number five last year. So they've just had some terrible luck in terms of the NBA draft lottery recently. And uh, last year they took Isaac Okoro, which is, you know, it's looking all right, but not looking great for them. So Cleveland's had some bad luck in the NBA draft lottery as of recently. And uh, they don't seem any closer to being competitive. So maybe this is the year they get that franchise cornerstone because they're also actively trying to trade Colin Sexton. So who knows? Maybe you can pair Cade Cunningham or pair Evan Mobley with Ben Simmons. Who knows? So that's the situation there. Oklahoma City, their pick is guaranteed wherever it is. 45% of the top four pick, 55% it falls down to five, six, or seven. Where Oklahoma City's gets interesting is up at number one, which we'll get to in a minute, because every Oklahoma City really wants this pick to convey, because not only does their pick get in the top five, but it helps increase the chances that they get a second top five pick in the NBA draft, which we will explain in a little bit. Next up is Detroit and Orlando. Both have the same odds, 14% at the number one pick, 13.4 at number two, 12.7 at number three, and 11.9 at number four. Both teams have about, well, let's see, if we add those all together, they have a 52% chance of getting the number, a top four pick, 52% chance of getting a top four pick, and a 48% chance of falling down further. Now for Orlando, it's more likely they'll fall to five or six. Detroit, more likely they'll hang around at five, maybe at six. Houston, who's up at number one with the highest odds in the NBA draft lottery, is the biggest stressor of the entire night. 
because Houston's number one pick as a result of all of their losing throughout the year, 14% chance of conveying. They need that 52% to cash out the same 52 Detroit has and the same 52 Orlando has for being third worst and second worst. They changed the lottery odds in 2018. I'm sorry, 2019 to deter tanking. They gave one, two and three, the exact same odds. They gave four and five, the exact same odds increased the odds for six, increased the odds for seven. Ultimately, it got both of the seven picks we were talking about just by chance. Uh, New Orleans, the number one pick. It got the uh, um, Chicago Bulls, the number four pick. The number six pick at 9% got Charlotte Lamelo Ball last year. So some of these have conveyed rather nicely. As we mentioned earlier, there's a 90% chance four or five are going to move up, and there's an 83% chance that one of the bottom seven teams are going to jump into the top four. And these are numbers Houston should all be considering because ultimately the draft lottery's biggest storyline revolves around the Houston Rockets. The Rockets need that 52% to convey because if they fall out of the top four and go to number five, which they have a 47.9% chance of doing so, Houston loses their draft pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder as a result of a pick swap during the Russell Westbrook trade. If Houston lands in the top four, their pick is protected. If they land outside of the top four, their pick goes to Oklahoma City, and the Thunder potentially have two top five picks in the NBA draft if Houston's pick falls to number five. And this is what Houston has been losing for all year. As soon as it became clear that John Wall and Eric Gordon and Victor Oladipo and Christian Wood was not the answer, it was how can we lose as many games as possible to secure the best possible lottery odds for our team. And one of the ways that they, and they did it better than everyone else. They just tank, 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 never played John Wall at the same time as Aaron Gordon, Eric Gordon. Christian Wood sat out most of the season. They played just a god-awful lineup of Kelly Olenek and KJ McDaniels and DJ Augustine and Daniel House, who somehow survived all of that, even though he was the one who got thrown out of the bubble for inviting one of the, the people who worked there to his hotel room. Somehow he's the last one standing from those Rockets teams that were great just a couple years ago. And Houston, after James Harden nonsense and trading him for virtually nothing but draft picks because they gave up so much to get Russell Westbrook a couple years ago, they have everything riding on this lottery. A top four pick, a franchise cornerstone, whether it be Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, or Evan Mobley, is riding on this pick tonight, and it's a 50-50 shot. Flip a coin right now. Go find a coin wherever it is you are. Open up the coin app on your phone or open up the coin website. Flip a coin. If it's heads, Houston gets to keep their pick. If it's tails, the pick goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's what is riding on tonight's game for Houston and subsequently Oklahoma City, for Minnesota and subsequently Golden State, and Chicago and subsequently Orlando, who has the potential to get two top 10 picks in the draft. There's a scenario where Orlando and Oklahoma City are drafting one and two, getting those franchise cornerstones, and also have the fifth pick for Oklahoma City, and at best case scenario, the eighth pick for the Orlando Magic. 
And that is how you navigate trades and win lottery odds or potentially lose lottery odds because there's also a scenario where Orlando walks away with just the number six pick and that's it. And there's a scenario where Oklahoma City walks away with the number eight pick and that's it. (laughs) There's so much craziness about to go down in the NBA draft lottery. It's my favorite day of the year. It's a nerdy thing. I love it. We didn't even talk about rigged lotteries today, which we can talk about frozen envelopes and DeAndre Ayton going to the Phoenix Suns and everything in between because it's a fun conspiracy theory, isn't it? And the NBA giving Zion to the Pelicans for multiple reasons, one of which being that they want to keep the NBA in New Orleans, although I saw a report that New Orleans is considering relocation within the NBA and the fact that they wanted to deter tanking by giving a team with the seventh best odds the number one pick in the draft. That is all on the line for the magical blueprint tomorrow in the NBA draft lottery. My pick, if the NBA is going to rig it, and again, I don't know the storylines that the NBA is following, I would say they want Houston to keep that draft pick, and they would have Cade Cunningham go to... Probably Houston, now that I think about it. Houston's probably the team they're shooting for to get Cade Cunningham unless they want him to go to Chicago or Toronto. There's not a lot of big-name teams in there, but they are also probably going to make their magic work to help Golden State get that nice little piece at the bottom of the draft. Two lottery picks for the Golden State Warriors. Two lottery picks for the Orlando Magic, and potentially two lottery picks for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's a coin flip to decide that one. It's going to be a magical, fun day at the NBA Draft Lottery. So I wanted to talk for a quick minute about this story around Carl Nazib and some pretty gross misconceptions that we have about gay athletes in male sports because... In female sports, a lot of this culture has has gone away. I think there's a larger percentage of lesbian athletes in female sports, and I think the culture is definitely a bit more accepting than it is around the toxic masculinity of a locker room, which can be a good thing. Like I'm not, it's not a a detriment here. Like the the ideas of men coming together to laugh, cry, and have this sacred space of a locker room are extremely important because it allows for some vulnerabilities of emotions for a group that historically the precedent has been that men are not as emotional and men tend and the stereotype around it is that men are not exactly uh, comfortable with things like having gay teammates. And so when Carl Nazib makes this announcement, it's not like, oh, my goodness, there's a gay athlete in the NFL. If you if you realistically have been paying attention, of course, I I think even those who are the most cynical around the ideas of homosexuality and the idea of acceptance of people for being. and, And this is also a tribalist thing, because I think right now there's a generation of people coming up my age in Gen Z where hearing this is not really like a batting of it's like you don't even think twice about it in a non-tribalist gen z i think most people don't even think about the idea that there is a gay athlete 
or the idea that they are appalled by homosexuality, not because of religion, but because ultimately the thing that leads to anti-homosexuality and homophobia, which is people are just uncomfortable with sex between two men. And we've normalized the idea of sex between two women in our culture. And there's this whole yada, yada, yada. I don't want to get into it right now, but ultimately that's where homophobia basically stems from. It's just the idea people are uncomfortable by the idea of two men having sex anyways. So Carl Nazib is not, his did not magically it's just the fact that he's now the first openly gay player only means that he now has to deal with the questions and the concerns around it and this is honestly a time in society where most industries are coming around on this idea and sports especially male sports are kind of the i mean specifically male sports not especially specifically male sports are the last group that is coming around on this idea, or at least one of the last groups coming around on this idea of sexuality, gendered and sexuality inequality, or sorry, coming around on the idea of gendered and sexual sexuality equality, and the idea that we can have acceptance for all different groups of people. It's really, again, it's, it's not anything that's a bat of the eye, except for the tribalistic nature that we treat homophobia where homophobia and racism and um misogyny uh sorry I'm, I'm very tired right now it's not great to talk about deep societal issues while i'm tired but this idea that racism sexuality anti-religion uh all of these things are stemming from tribalist patterns that are passed down among generations dating back to hundreds of years ago, slavery and the racial caste system in America. And the fact that we ostracize people who are not straight, white, cis, um, straight, white, wait, straight, white, cisgender males who ultimately, this is the difficult part with Carl Nazib because Carl Nazib's story is one that's going to continue to evolve because of the media pressure that's going to come around it. Not because it's anything different, but I, it's interesting because of the people who are also asking the questions. And so Carl Nazib is only going to be a story because of the way we're going to cover Carl Nazib. And the fact that for most people who didn't watch Hard Knocks with the Cleveland Browns and know Carl Nazib is the money guy telling you how you can double your money in 10 years at an 8% interest rate, Carl Nazib is going to be known as the the, for the only openly gay athlete in the NFL, just the same way Ryan O'Callaghan was when he left the New England Patriots, and the same way that we still remember Michael Sam because he was kissing his boyfriend on the draft, and we're like, yes, this is an accepting time, and all of a sudden everyone said, no, never mind, we're just going to get rid of Michael Sam, it's too much of a distraction, it makes too many people uncomfortable, and people don't know what to do, so they lash out at the person because... The idea of two men kissing makes them uncomfortable. And unfortunately, we're not going to get it perfect. Of course not. There's a large site. There's an entire political party in America that's built on the idea of anti homosexuality, anti anti. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. But to the to the point on that, because it, it's it's technically a stereotype and I don't want to stereotype that. But to to the point on what I was trying to say is that there's a, a it's never going to be perfect. But the idea with Carl Nazib is that for an entire for myself and my generation, this is something that's just not a bat. It's just not we don't bat an eye at this idea, especially for myself. And, and most people have kind of come around on this because 
more people and, and to the point on Carl Nazib, actually, Carl Nazib has probably before this come out to many of his teammates and people who he thinks actually give a damn about what he uh, get, actually give a damn about him and what he does in life, like people that he cares about, whether it be a coach in that Raiders locker room or players that he's close with and people that he'll go into meetings with. Most of them probably already knew about Carl Nazem. And there's a, there's dozens of NFL players and NBA players and MLB players and NHL players and tennis players all the way down the line to UFC boxing, whatever dozens and dozens of players, statistically speaking, because the, the toxic culture just forces you to not be public about it in this way that Carl Nazib has. It's a huge step Carl Nazib has taken here because people are this. What is the one thing you're going to remember about Carl Nazib if you didn't watch Hard Knocks 2019? There's one thing you know about Carl Nazib. You know what team he plays for. And if you're someone who follows the NFL like a soap opera, all of a sudden it becomes content. And again, it's not going to be perfect, but I do applaud the way that this has been covered so far. And I think that we're getting to a point where for a large group of people, this is not anything different. And maybe it was the case 20 years ago. I wasn't around to know 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is. I don't know exactly how accepting different generations were compared to now, but it seems like this is a good time. Uh, But we said the same thing about Michael Sam, and apparently it wasn't because everyone got uncomfortable when Michael Sam started kissing his boyfriend on the stage of or on the on video of the NFL draft. And everyone kind of went away from that. We've talked about Chris Cluey with the same idea. Chris Cluey, who is not gay, was talking about the was fighting for the fact that gay people should be allowed to get married or sorry, LGBTQ people should be allowed to be married in America and he got blackballed from the league. This was only seven years ago. So this same idea is still very prevalent and it feels like for, for me, sports are easily an industry where we can break down because we've broken it down in every form of entertainment in most of corporate America. Um, and it feels like sports are kind of this last frontier because it's the overly masculine locker room and a lot of tribalism that exists throughout this idea of a sport that is literally about banging bodies together. And so it's really going to be interesting to see how the reaction to this goes on for the next few months and whether or not people journalistically and within the locker room and on podcasts or whatever it might end up being within media or within his locker room, how responsible people are going to be when covering this and how enlightened, shall I say, they're going to be around this topic because it's really going to matter a lot in this changing time where Carl Nazib gets to be someone who, again, even though Michael Sam broke down the door and Ryan O'Callaghan broke down the door, he's going to have to go through the wall again and potentially lose his job over it. Um, not specifically for being openly gay, but it just, it pushes the needle the other way because of the media reaction around it. And if people are going to make this a story more than it is, then unfortunately it's going to be to the detriment of Carl Nazib and future players who want to do the same thing that Carl Nazib did today. All right, let's talk with House of Phoenix Suns about game two of the Western Conference Finals here tonight. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Going great. How are you? 
Good. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. I'm guessing that uh, I'm not doing as great as you, though. Across the past week or so, I yeah. imagine that that you must be riding pretty high right now, going into game. Oops, that's something falling. But going into game two. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm just waiting on some good Chris Paul news, and then that's the only thing, only good news that could possibly make me any happier with the Suns. Yeah. Chris Paul being back. So let's talk about that. So game two is obviously tonight when we release this and we got our buddy house of Phoenix suns joining us for, it's gotta be like the fifth or sixth time during the playoffs. Cause the suns just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And now they've got eight straight wins and Devin Booker took a higher usage rate. And instead of the suns getting a little worse, they got a little bit better and they beat the Kawhi list Clippers in game one, which we didn't really talk about that here on the podcast. Cause we had, crazy Bucks nets and crazy Sixers and Hawks and all that. Obviously today's the draft lottery and it's my favorite day of the year. So, you know, we haven't really talked about that game one, but Booker was even with a higher usage rate, the team did enough to get the win. I don't know if it's sustainable across seven games, but it it did just enough to get them game one. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting it to go like for it to be like this for seven games because I'm expecting Chris Paul to be back or game three. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks like it right now, at least where the COVID protocol is going. Yeah, it might be that um, Devin Booker has to have that kind of performance again in game two, which is difficult. I mean, a 40-point triple-double in the conference finals is not something easy to do, especially if that since that is his first ever triple-double. Double. So it's just going to be – his first ever conference finals game. Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, he's built, he's built for the playoffs, and it, I, I always thought that his, his style of play, his mentality is always built for the playoffs. Like, yeah, he does everything well in regular season and whatnot, but I really felt that he could thrive in a playoff atmosphere, and that's, that's really what's happened for him. And it's surprising that it's happened so fast. Like, obviously, the Chris Paul thing dampens it a little bit, and to the point, I think that if Kawhi Leonard had been there, I think it would have been a different thing because the high usage – it was back to what we kind of know the Suns as, which is high Devin Booker usage rate and some compliments from other guys around the team. Like, they scored a lot of points, but they also gave up a lot of points because they, they had that Chris Paul presence both to make Devin Booker more efficient and to help everyone else – or help guard whoever the point guard is on the other team, which in this case is now Paul George. So yeah. I, I think that I wouldn't bank on it again, but also the fact that the Suns are at this point, I've been pretty wrong about the Suns for most of the playoffs so far. It's been quite remarkable to see how good they've been. Yeah. And I mean, um, like with us having Chris Paul, I think Chris Paul will return earlier than Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Kawhi Leonard should play at all really this series, considering it's an ACL kind of an injury. Um, and it but, seems like a pretty significant one, too. It's yeah. just more of a, like, this is it, we got to go for it kind of injury. Yeah, exactly. So I, it might be the situation with Anthony Davis where he comes back and then he realizes, like, oh, I can't play. Like, it, I just can't do what I usually do. And then they end up taking him off after five minutes. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they tried to make him play, if, especially if they're down to nothing going into L.A. Like, they're going to have to – fix something, especially if Chris Paul comes back for game three and we're up to nothing, I, I would say that the series would be over 
by then because whatever I, they tried to not, adjust to. You're not crazy. Yeah, that's not yeah. a crazy idea. Especially since whatever they try to adjust to from the first two games is just going to be blown up in the air because Chris Paul will be back and we're a completely different team when Chris Paul runs the offense compared to when Devin Booker runs the offense. So. Yeah, and and this is the interesting part about usage rate and Devin Booker, which is just that Devin Booker can keep giving you 40-point games, but eventually Devin Booker is going to have a game where he shoots four for 18 or whatever it might be. And those are the games where the Clippers can kind of pounce. And it's what the Clippers have done most of the playoffs. Like they've had two 2-0 comebacks. And I shouldn't – no one should ever bank on having a 2-0 comeback. Like it's not a great strategy for winning a series. But yeah. they, they've done it a couple times now. And they've, they've built game plans. I don't know how they would game plan against the Suns now. But they game planned around the Utah Jazz even without Kawhi Leonard and – you know, Paul George is the number one looks kind of similar at times to what Devin Booker looks like as a number one. I think just Devin Booker is a younger, semi more efficient version of Paul George. Yeah. And, and Paul George was having a crazy game in game one, to be fair. He was pretty much like him and Booker were going like taking blows after blows. They were just matching whatever the other person did, which was kind of exciting to watch. But I, I, I don't know if either one of them can really keep that up maybe for even another game. Like, I don't know if Devin Booker is going to have as an efficient night and as many points as he did in game one. I don't think I, – I honestly don't think that's going to happen again. Well, and to your point on Chris Paul is that from the defensive side, having Cameron Payne guard Paul George is a totally different animal than having Cameron Payne guard Paul George coming up the floor. Like, oh, yeah, all definitely. Of it. And – the, the Clippers have gotten smart about let's just screen Cameron Payne or let's screen Devin Booker onto Paul George and just let him work on those guys versus going or just screen them on the eight with um, like they did with Reggie Jackson a bunch, which was just can we get the matchup of Aiton on Reggie Jackson and then let Reggie Jackson just pull up on open threes because Aiton rarely ventures out to the three point line on defense. Yeah. And, and like going to the point with Aiton is that he he really took advantage of his height, and, uh, which is something that Rudy Gobert didn't really do when when the Clippers went small, and that's something that we need to take advantage of, especially since like Aiton's a, a head taller than most of these guys, and he he can jump pretty high. So pretty much all of his points were dunks the other day. Uh, there, he missed two shots, which were, were both mid range shots, which I don't know why he's taking at all. But he just needs to get to, the, <laughs> get to the rim and dunk it because he's so much taller than everyone else. And if they put in Zubac, he's more athletic than him, and he can handle that. So well, this I, is a funny. This is a funny change in the NBA, right? We went from Aiton has to shoot three pointers to Aiton should never <laughs> shoot a three pointer. Like it changed yeah. so quickly on the math of playing offense at the center position. Yeah, it's 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 really weird, especially in conference finals. We're saying that. <laughs> And but yeah. then in the other end, you're saying, oh, Giannis needs to shoot threes more. He needs to be more efficient. Ben Simmons needs to shoot better. So it's like, well, I'm, I'm the different. other way. I'm the other way on Giannis. I think Giannis should just exclusively live within like five feet of the basket. But yeah, I mean, all the math changed once we realized, oh, wait a minute, we can just pick apart some teams by shooting 50, 60 percent from inside five feet and just have eight and be be Clint Capella. Uh-huh. Just catch lobs instead of having be Bam Adebayo or be Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, and especially in this series, that's what we need him to do: is just grab rebounds and put them back in. Like get twenty Which points, fifty rebounds, and that'll win us some games. That's really and all. Big because without Serge Ibaka, you know, 
60, 70% of the time, the Clippers play without a true center. Like Nick Batum is basically their center for a good portion of these games. Yeah. And then you put DeMarcus Cousins in and he got five fouls in 10 minutes. So it's like he doesn't, he's just going to foul eight in the whole time. Well, yeah. No, DeMarcus Cousins is just meant to buy time. Like all DeMarcus Cousins does is come in. And how can we just buy time so that the starters can get rested and get back on the floor? Because yeah. the, the Clippers are kind of hurting. Like, I know Terrence Mann had 40 points, and I know Reggie Jackson gets the nickname of Mr. June. But, like, when you have a lack of depth and Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson are getting significant minutes, like, it's it's rough out here. It's rough when you don't have that depth in the playoffs. Yeah. And yeah. you're so reliant on one star like they are now with Paul George. Yeah, and, and like, that's what, what worried me, like, going into game one is that I thought we were going to be really reliant on Devin Booker. Um, but Booker outplayed Paul George, and that was the matchup. Like, it was just pretty much star against star and then a bunch of role players, and we have the better role players, I think, to complement what we were doing that game, and it, it worked out. Yeah, I think definitely that's the case. I don't know if it would have been the case if y'all had gotten the Jazz, but yeah, definitely I think against the different. Clippers. The Clippers yeah. are just not deep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it, that, uh, that was the matchup I was hoping for, is that I would rather play the Clippers than the Jazz, uh, especially without Kawhi Leonard. That's 100%. No, yeah. <laughs> no, no. no the math changed immediately on that. <laughs> yeah, like when I saw them go up 3-2, I was like, oh, come on, Clippers, just end it, please. Just, we'll take we'll take you out. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take the Kawhi-less Clippers any day against the Utah Jazz. Even yes. though Rudy Gobert got exposed, we still want the the Kawhi-less Clippers easy. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, and it kind of showed in Game One. Even if it, like you said, they they got some offensive production. Like I know, uh, I think Aiton had double digits. I think like five or six players had double digits. I mean, not high double digits, but. You know, yeah. they compensating for the lack of Chris Paul numbers and Devin Booker going for 40 points was still like it was a lot of points, but they also gave up a lot of points. So it, it yeah. was closer than we thought it would be. But I think they had five or six people go in double figures in that game. Yeah, I think eight and had 20. Uh, I think Mikhail definitely was over d- double digits. I think Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder. So, yeah, it was pretty uh, Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne had a he tied his career high in assists. So it was, oh. it was just everyone stepped up, and that's pretty much what we needed. It was just some everyone to step up instead of just one person stepping up for Chris Paul. We just needed the whole team to kind of fill the role each in their own way. And that's kind of a hard thing to do, which is why, you yes. know, on this, on this eight-game win streak, it's so much easier when you have a scary Terry who just averages like 27 a game in the playoffs. Like, it, it's so much easier to just have one player fill the Chris Paul role. But at the same time, it feels like every game of this eight game win streak for the Suns, it's just like four players in double figures, four players with 15, four players with 20 points, five players in double figures. Like it's just spread the wealth and guys hitting shots more than like the Brooklyn Nets or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Atlanta Hawks. When we watch those teams, it's just a lot of guys hitting shots consistently for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. And that's something that I feel makes us very difficult to plan against because like the Clippers were doing in the first half, they doubled Devin Booker pretty much the whole time. And all he had to do was just break the the double, the double team. And then we had open shooters that are ready for these moments and they just nice and easy to make it. So it's, it's just, it's tough to defend a team that has five guys that can score 
pretty consistently. Like, that, that can give you 10 points every game. Yeah, because there's all sorts of different shooters. Yeah. And even, you know, I don't think campaign was awesome from the three-point line, but like you said, he had nine assists, and he kind of just becomes the, okay, let me be Chris Paul, not in terms of, like, the scoring part, which Chris Paul, you know, is one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA, but let me just be the person that the offense runs through. Like, let me bring it up the floor. Let me just be someone at the top to move the ball to the next person and – it's a lot of what Chris Paul's done for years. It's just the way the Suns didn't have to change their offense. Like, yeah, Devin Booker shot 29 shots, which, you know, they, that wouldn't be the case in a normal game, but they didn't really change their offense that much. It wasn't like Devin Booker was running ISOs all game. No, yeah, exactly. We, we still had one playmaker, and then the rest of the guys were just ready to make the shots when the ball came to them. And, and we kept the ball, ball moving until someone got a pretty high percentage shot. Yeah, like Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder, I think, shot like 40% from the three-point line in the game. Yeah. And that's something that, like, for example, the Bucks lost a couple games in the series because, you know, um, P.J. Tucker and Connaughton and Bryn Forbes shot like one for eight from the three-point line. And when Jay Crowder can give you a three for seven from the three-point line, it can ultimately be kind of the difference. You can't count on them all the time, but when you get that production, it just makes life that much sweeter. Yeah, exactly. And it at least makes the defense think, hey, we got to at least kind of guard Jay Crowder a little even bit. If, so, even if so they do that, if, if Jay Crowder can just sit in the corner, then Devin yeah. Walker can just drive, drive, yeah. drive, lay up, exactly. drive, lay up all game. Exactly. It's all about decision making in, in our offense. And we have the players that make good decisions. That's it's high efficiency, really. Yeah, you- it, it, it is a high-efficient offense. That's why they were, like, I think fourth in net rating this year, something like that. It's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, and uh, it's just really exciting, and I can't wait until tomorrow. Well, today, whenever this releases. So Yeah, it's today when people are listening. Maybe people are listening and the game's already going on. And uh, yeah. don't, don't live in-game bet on, on this one, I would say, because – I've been calling Marcus Morris a bum for a few games, and, and you know, he, he proved me right in the in the last game that Marcus Morris, he, you can't count on him for he, – he'll get you 20 now and then, but you can't count on him because sometimes he's going to throw up an 0 for 5 or, like, yeah, it is – I've never been a fan of his. Yeah, no, him or uh, – well, the funny part was that Terrence Mann was awesome again in game one, but they just didn't give him enough shots. He only shot yeah. the ball four times, and he hit – three three-pointers yeah i didn't expect him to have another good game but he did which compliments him but i just don't know how many games you'll have like that yeah and, but the idea that terrence mann took four shots and reggie jackson took 12 three-pointers is just that can't be the way your offense runs at this point it has to be terrence mann in the Kawhi role instead of like reggie jackson in the kyle lowry or the kyrie irving role like you've got to yeah you got to switch that up in game two. Yeah. I, and I mean, I'm sure they'll come out with another game plan. I, just, I hope we adjust accordingly, which I, I have confidence that we will adjust to whatever needs to be adjusted to. Yeah. And, you know, Monty Williams, Monty Williams has been a really good coach for you guys. I think for that team specifically, putting in the offense post Chris Paul, I saw James Johnson or James Jones got the executive of the year, and I found that funny because I'm like, so he got executive of the year for trading for Chris Paul. Like that's, yeah. that's the only move they made this offseason was just trade for Chris Paul. Yep, you get to be executive of the year. Yeah, that that was pretty much it. 
And then the year before, Rob Polinka got the award because Anthony Davis wanted to come play for your team. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very strange it's award. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I feel the executive of the, of the year award should go to the coach for being the coach of the year and putting it all together which with what he was given. Well, this but, has kind of been the story of the Suns for the last few years. It's just like they always finish second in the awards. Like Tibbs won coach of the year. So they're like, yeah, ah, that. damn. Chris Paul finished fifth in MVP. And they're like, ah, damn. We got we to gotta give them some sort of love. Let's, get, let's give them executive of the year. I know. I mean, we'll yeah. take whatever we can get at this point. But yeah, we'll make up a bubble coach, a coach of the bubble award. We're just gonna make it up yeah. on the spot and give it to Monty uh-huh. Williams. Yeah, and Mikael Bridges was the eleventh uh, best defender in the league according to the All NBA teams. Oh, that's right. He got snubbed from the All yeah. All Defensive Team. The one guy, yeah. The one yeah. guy. That was- but. Devin Booker got snubbed from the All-Star team. He ultimately got replaced in, but he got snubbed from the All-Star team in the yeah. first place. All-NBA team. He didn't make that. But nope. uh, what, what we won't care. Well, the players won't care if, if they're getting rings. So that's the ultimate well, that's, goal. That's the other thing. <laughs> I heard a great joke about that today, which is just that Adam Silver is like actively rooting for the Clippers now. And uh, if if the finals ends up being Hawks and Suns, he's just he's just gonna quit. He's just gonna oh, quit yeah. on the spot if he gets <laughs> Hawks and Suns in the finals. That'd be so funny. Yeah. Oh he's no! Ring that he finally deserves. Yeah. <laughs> no. Chris yeah. Paul. Chris Paul can coast his way in there because you you look at the four teams left. Do you think you guys are better than the Bucks at this point? So I'm guess I assume you're rooting for the Hawks in the finals. But of I, course. I don't think yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think there's any chance that the Hawks win that series, though. But do you guys no, think that I, the Bucks are a better team? I I personally do, uh, just because size advantage, especially. Uh, like, I don't know who on our team can guard Giannis. There's really nobody that I can think of. Um, because if you put eight on him, then who's guarding Brooke Lopez? Still another seven-foot guy, which we have no answer for. Because the only guy really seven-foot that plays is Aiton. And then after that, what, you're going to put Frank Kaminsky in, Dario in on, on I Giannis? About to say, I was about to say, you're you can always pull Frank Kaminsky in there off the bench and uh, just be a total offensive liability. Just run ISO with Devin Booker and just tell Frank Kaminsky, go to the corner, stand in the uh-huh. corner, don't touch yeah. the basketball. <laughs> yeah, and then you're going to have P.J. Tucker on Devin Booker, Drew Holiday on, on Chris Paul. That's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, no, I get that. And the, the Bucks run so much ISO that's going to spread out your already shaky interior defense. Like, it, it's it's a problem. But I think that the Bucks also are just, you know, their best player is better than your best player, and their second yeah. best player is as good as your second best player. And sometimes yeah. it can be that simple. Yeah, and so, I mean, hopefully the Hawks can pull something out, and we can obviously handle the Clippers, I hope. And we'll just – Right now, I'm just focused on the Clippers, and then from there, we'll see how yeah, it goes. Yeah, no. The, the game two will tell a lot because Kawhi Leonard's been rehabbing in Los Angeles to try and get that knee healthy, but if he, if he can come back games three and four and it's a 1-1 series, even if he's limited Kawhi Leonard, like I, I think the offense is still going to take a major step up for the Clippers. So I, th- I game two is going to tell a lot about this series, and – yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a big game. It's a big game. Yeah. Vegas is leaning your way, too. Vegas has you guys five-point favorites, and they taking about 50-50 on both, so they don't really know how this game's going to go. They're kind of yeah. just hedging their bet both ways. 
yeah, we'll, we'll just see what happens, I guess. And uh, hope, I hope you're rooting for the Suns. I have to root for the Suns at this. Even though I'm presently wearing a Kawhi Leonard T-shirt, I, oh. I have to root for the Suns. Rally the Valley. We're too, yeah, that's... we're too deep in at this point to not rally the Valley. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point for con- for content purposes. I don't think I'm I really root for either team to be honest. I think I'm just watching it uh, to watch. Now on the other side, no, I I am not a, not only am I a Giannis stan, I am also the mayor of Warriors South going back to 2018. So I've got like double double rooting interests on the other side. But uh, on the West, eh, it's Clippers Suns. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's, yeah, that's fair. I guess it is what it is. So. Uh, until next time, good luck to you guys. I'm really pulling for you in game two tonight. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks for having me on here. And hopefully we'll talk again when we're in the finals. Uh, maybe earlier than that. We might have a long series ahead of us. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> rally, rally to Valley. Let's go. Let's, let's go for the sweep and then we can talk after that. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.